You're listening to a message brought to you by Christian Life Church Hereford. If you would like to find out more about us, go to www.clch.cc. We are to be the hands and feet of God in Herefordshire, the nation and the world. We believe that God intends his love to reach everyone and we are called to unconditionally love and serve the world. We seek a church significant, both in size and influence, a church that reaches out to the local community and beyond in practical ways, spreading the good news of Jesus and growing through the addition of new Christians. We see this church sending out missionaries locally, nationally and internationally, as well as planting and growing new churches. This is part of our vision as Christian Life Church. Vision can be many things, but we've gone for a church that we are seeking after. We aren't there yet. How do I know we're not there yet? Hands up, who's involved currently in church planting? Let's go, guys. (laughs) We have a nation, we have a county, we have a world to reach. One of the most effective Methods of doing that is church planting. I'm going to hopefully talk about it a bit later. It depends upon the time. But today we're talking about what's on the board. Um, our vision, our, our vision of reach, reaching out beyond ourselves. And the icon for reach, which you might have seen, is a backpack. Now there aren't many churches that choose um, fashion items for their icons. Um, so the question, of course, is why a backpack? And I was kind of thinking, well, why, why do we have this? What, what, you can kind of pick out where it's going to go, but what, what, is it, what does it mean for us? And the moment I walked into the church this morning, I looked like this. I had my jacket on. I had my backpack on. And the very first thing that Tim says to me wasn't, hi, Jason, how great to see you. It was, where are you going? Oh, thanks, Tim. Hi. Because, <laughs> I'm wanting to, because when someone's got a backpack, you have at least one, if not two questions. And the first question you often ask someone with a backpack is, where are you going? And the second question that you might well ask them is, what's in the bag? What are you carrying? And this is the reason why we have chosen a backpack as the icon for each. Because those two questions, where are you going and what are you carrying, are two of the most fundamental issues for us as Christians who believe in Jesus Christ. So today, I want to talk to you about two things. Where we're going, what you're carrying. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you that your Holy Spirit is present and active in this place right now. We know that it is by your power, that it is by your word, that Jesus is by your sacrifice, that we can sit here today and receive power from your kingdom, power from heaven, that's going to change and transform our lives, our souls, but not only ourselves, but God, you have called us into a world where we get to see transformation. We get to see destinies change. We get to see transferal of souls from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. So God, this morning, let our hearts burn for more of you. Let our minds come alive to ways in which we can see this work out in our lives. Help each heart here be ready to receive the truth that you've got for them this morning, Jesus. Amen. 
So the first question, where are you going? Now, we're in a church, and I can stand on fairly firm ground to say that most of us in the room abide by what this book says. This is the Bible. Now, the Bible gives us two options for where you're going. One option is with God. Another option is without God. One option talks about a place filled and paved with gold and jewels. A garden city where we or people are planted as trees next to rivers of living water flowing. Where there is no darkness, there is no shadow because the very presence of God is there. We will be singing with him for eternity, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The other option the Bible talks about uses the words weeping, gnashing of teeth, torment. In other words, biblically, it calls it a steaming pile. One place is called heaven. The other place is called hell. Now, there is no third option. There isn't an option of opting out of one of those two. There isn't a get out of heaven or hell free card. But often we find ourselves focusing so much on the next few decades of our life that we forget about the next few millennia. You are an eternal being. You have a soul. You haven't just got a heart, a mind, a body, things that you can touch and measure. You have a soul, something that only God can touch. Something that God has created. We were made in his image. You were made in his image. Your friends and family were made in his image. Your colleagues were made in his image. The people out on the street were made on his image. Every single person with a soul. So we have two options. Where are you going? With God or without God? The choices that we make impact on that destiny. But what is beautiful about this is that if you choose heaven, if you choose God, if you choose Jesus, it's not a question of striving and effort and earning your way into that place. For those who call upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. All that God is requiring of you is the smallest little flicker of belief. A wisp. A vapor. Something in you that realizes that there's more than this. That there is a God. He's not asking you to spend decades and decades striving and toiling and getting a sweaty brow to earn your way into the pearly gates. God wants you to know one thing, and that one thing is him. Are you confident of that this morning? Is that a bold statement in your heart? Is that a hope that you have? Is your hope simply to make it through the next 24 hours? 
Is your hope to make it to the end of the week without having another row with your spouse? Is your hope to get a job by the end of the month? Is your hope to get a new house next year? Is your hope to get a spouse next year? Is your hope to see your lifestyle improve marginally over the next few years? Is your hope that you get a bit less angry, a bit less frustrated, and a bit holier by the end of your life? Because in most cases, when I wake up in the morning, I rarely think of heaven. I rarely think of my eternal destiny in Christ. And I'm saying this as someone who's um, I'm not saying supposedly leads a church, lead a church, part of the church, but someone who day in, day out is leading people, dealing with people. And sometimes our head and our hands and our feet get so stuck in the mess of the day-to-day life that we forget about the place that we are called to. We forget about the rest of our lives beyond our death. Where are you going? There's a pastor who spent years, decades, leading a church, preaching from the Bible. And after a little while of doing this, he got disillusioned. He didn't like this idea of heaven and hell, and he removed himself from the church, but continued to preach to people. And he's come up with one of these kind of famous quotes that you see on often lots of coffee cups. You see them in coffee shops. They fill your Instagram pages. And um, I've, um, I've some really, my mum likes to put these kind of quotes on kind of little rainbow images or little images of like doves and clouds and things. You know, kind of really, I hate them. I really cannot cope with them all my days. Just the, oh, the whole aesthetic just gets me. Um, But the quote goes, I'm paraphrasing because you've heard it in lots of different ways. But in essence, it says, the journey is more important than the destination. Who's heard that before? Yeah? Journey is more important than the destination. Uh, We as Christians can say that is absolute, that is a steaming pile. That's what we can say. That is a steaming pile. Because if only the journey matters and not the destination, then you have absolutely zero idea what is your next step to take. We live in a world where anxiety, stress, and uh, fear are absolutely on record levels. The word anxiety was barely used up until the 1950s, and it's been growing exponentially since then. This preaching of the journey is more important than the destination is not leading to peace. It's not leading to holistic and wholesome lives. It is leading to stress, anxiety, and fear. Because people have no frame of reference. People have no idea where the limits are, where the boundaries are. Where are we going in this life? (laughs) Thanks, man. Absolutely. Amen. Even Siri agrees. We as Christians bring a frame of reference into this world that is very, very quickly losing any shape of influence. Where 
are you going? Not just today, not tomorrow, not next year. Where are you going? With God, without God. So then, how does this change how we go about our day-to-day? Because, of course, if I know I need to get over there, but I'm here, what's the next step? It's very logical thinking. If I want to get there, but I'm here, what is my next step? (laughs) One foot in front of the other. Um, A few months ago, my family and I, I missed you, that was, that's what it was. Um, my family and I took a little trip over um, to the Black Mountains, a place called the Cat's Back. Anyone heard of that? Yeah? So I didn't realise that the Cat's Back is actually the mountain or the mountain space that I kind of see in the far distance when I'm driving over to work. To me, it looks miles away and it looks huge. We drove there, it took us about, I can't remember, 45 minutes, something like that to get there. And when we got there, it still looked huge. It looked really quite tall, it looked quite long, and I was like, I've got a five-year-old and a nine-year-old and a eight-month-old. This is going to be interesting. So in the naivety of um, young parents, myself and my wife um, took it upon ourselves to take our girls up and down the cat's back. Now, being the obedient husband that I am, um, my wife gave me a map, and we went to a pub to make sure that the map was okay. Is this the walk that we take to go up and down the cat's back? And the guy behind the pub said, yes, that's absolutely fine. You can start here. Off you go. So, off we went. I had my eight-month-old strapped on, two girls, found like long walking sticks to go with, and off we went. We could see where we wanted to get to up in the distance. Even though we could see it, we weren't there yet. We had to take each step, one at a time, to get there. And the first few um, meters, (laughs) the first few meters went really, really well. Um, We went, um, we followed the road, and it was concreted. Tarmac, it's fantastic. And then we realized after about 100 meters that we were going down the wrong path. So then came back up and then realized um, it wasn't tarmac, it wasn't set up. It was a really small, muddied path, pretty much worn out by uh, rainwater going in between two other fields. That was the map, the way we should have gone to begin with. Um, who knows that sometimes the Christian walk is not an easy walk? Sometimes we have to take paths that are not well-traveled. Sometimes we have to take paths that are a little bit inconspicuous, a little bit tricky to navigate, maybe paths that other people don't take. That is our call as Christians, to take, make choices based upon where we want to get to, not just upon what's in front of us. Although some things might look easier, they will not take you to the destination you want to get to. So we followed up this path, we managed to get our joy back after realising that some dad had taken us in the wrong direction. After coming up and around, um, we got to probably about an hour in. An hour's a pretty good time to walk, right? 
yeah, we've got, got, got a few kids carrying a baby. Um, and we realized after the map, looking at how far we'd gone, we were not even at the foot of the mountain yet. So continued. Um, there were some various um, obstacles we had to navigate, huge piles of uh, rainwater, puddles of rainwater, some, some very precarious situations where my wife almost fell in. I was just filming her the whole time. It was hilarious. Um, it would have been very awkward had she fallen in, but she didn't, so it's okay. Um, and then the sun came out. Well, hey, it was all good. Um, took our coats off, um, wrapped them around our waists, um, found a goat skull. That was really cool. Found some tadpoles. That was nice. It was quite scenic as we went. And then we got to the base of the mountain after two hours. Yeah. And then we got out our picnic. So we sat down, because what was in our bag was some food to help us on the way. After sitting down for about 15, 20 minutes, we then got up and started the, not a sort of long ascent, but the ascent up the mountain. Thankfully, this one had only one direction, up. You can't get too lost here. Yeah, yeah, famous last words, right? So step by step, we made it this far, and we continued step by step up the side of the mountain, the ascent up the cat's back. It was beautiful, very, very windy, lots of photos taken. It was fantastic. We could see the progress that we had made as we surveyed the path that we had come from. As we were going up the hill, we noticed there were lots of people coming down the hill. Quite a lot of people coming down the hill. And then suddenly... There was no one coming down the hill. At this point, we realized it's getting quite cloudy, it's getting quite dark. No one else is coming down. No one else is going up ahead of us. Let's hope this finishes quickly. Looked at the map. We just got to the top of um, the cat's back, the little triangle thing that tells you you're at the highest point. And looked out, fantastic views, could see for miles. However, when we look back at the map, that was our halfway point. Three and a half hours in. So it's getting dark. No one else is around. My battery just dies on my phone. My wife's phone has no battery. The map, the last instructions I read were... <laughs> the last instructions I had were follow past the highest point about quarter, half a kilometer. You will see an obvious trail to the right, kind of sharp right, to come back down the mountain. Okay, obvious trail to the right, about a quarter of a click along. So, up to the top, start moving on ahead. Suddenly, everything is eerily quiet. I don't know if you guys have done the cat's back, but suddenly it's like you're in some kind of like sci-fi film. What was like super like windy and loud, suddenly the moment you get to the top, all the wind has stopped. There's nothing, there's not a rustling, and it is the weirdest sensation ever. You get there, puddles, huge lakes, nothing is being disturbed, and we felt completely and utterly isolated. We were in the right place, going in the right direction, following a map. We still felt isolated, 
It still felt strange. And this was definitely not where we belonged. But we were still doing what we were there to be doing. Our Christian walk can sometimes get us into places of isolation, places where it just seems dead, places where it seems completely different to anything I'm used to. But that does not mean you are in the wrong place. Right now, there are situations that you are in, that you know friends who are in, and they're thinking, I am just deserted here. There's nothing around. I can't see God. I can't feel God. I can't hear God. What is going on? At least 50 meters ago, I was still climbing up the mountain. It looked great. I felt great. But now, maybe there is no God. Maybe there is no mountain. What I can see, just it's dead. It says nothing around. Maybe God's taken me in the wrong place. Maybe God doesn't want me here. By forgetting your destination, suddenly where you are loses all meaning. So those of you who are in that situation this morning, do not lose hope. You are in the middle of a journey. That journey takes as long as life takes, but there is hope. And that hope didn't come in the form of that trailer that I was looking for. Because we walked at least a kilometer past the top of the mountain, and we did not find that right track that apparently takes you back down the hill. Now, being a dad, um, being the epitome of patience and peace, <laughs> um, upon noticing that the sun was setting, there was no one else around, being three and a half hours in, we were only probably about two and a half hours away from going back down the way we were meant to come. I was getting a little bit worried. So, eventually, after what was more than a kilometer, we found a path and we started heading down. I couldn't see where we were on the map. It made no sense to me. All I could do is just hope. I had a general sense of direction, but I definitely knew this was not the way we were meant to go. What I thought at the beginning of the, of the journey was a little bit of a path. I'm now realizing, well, that was the main entrance compared to what this trail is looking like. So <laughs> with my eight-month-old, our five-year-old, and our nine-year-old, we're running down the side of the cat's back in one of the steepest descents I have ever known, and the girls did a fantastic job. Me, I'm trying to get down as quickly as possible because if we're still two hours away, two and a half hours away from the car, and that sun is where it is, this could be a very tear-filled journey back home. Lots of tantrums. So as I'm trying to encourage the girls on with all the veracity that I could, ooh, there's a slug. Oh, look at that bird. Suddenly, the girls become interested in nature. All of a sudden, coming down the side of a mountain, when we're, well, don't know how, how many minutes of daylight there is left, and we are potentially two hours away from our car. Um, this was not the time to get distracted by what's going on around you girls. So, using my best parenting advice, I might have raised my voice a couple of times. Um, 
uh, we got to a stage where there was no path at all. Instead, there were horses and sheep and barbed wire. So I made the executive decision to stuff the trail. We're going that way. So I picked up our girls, one of them, and we just started running across the field with horses, with sheep, hoping that in that direction somewhere is where we need to go. Because sometimes in life, you have no idea where you're going. You just know where you need to get to. Some of you might be in that situation today. Looking for any next space, any next step out of where you are today. There's nothing apart from you know you need to get to X, Y, Z. Moving you with some sense of desperation. Pick our girls up, peg it across this um, field, jump over barbed wire fence. We ignore the no trespassing signs because sometimes girls, it's okay to break rules. And one last field, pegged it across, knowing that by these bushes and hedges was where we needed to get to. After getting to these bushes and hedges, we all literally have a big group hug, <laughs> saying, we made it, before we then try and work out where to go. So as we're there, literally having in a group hug, saying, thank you, God, for getting us at least where we, to some sense of where we should be, we then look around and realized that we were at the very same path that we took at the very beginning of our journey. Somehow saving two hours worth of, work, of walking, we ended up 100 meters from our car. God exists, guys. <laughs> um, sometimes God takes us in the circles. Sometimes you think, God, I'm back where I started. And that's exactly where we were. We were exactly where we started. But what had changed, of course, along the way was that we had become closer family. We'd got some stories to tell. But most importantly, we understood the value of where we were meant to be going. As a church, this idea of where we are going is meant to inform us of who we're going with. We're reaching out to those around us, to the towns, the counties, the countries, the nations, with this hope of a final destination to be with God. And I can stand here and say we are living in one of the most exciting times for outreach and evangelism and missions that the world has ever known. For those of you who've been around the church for a little while, you would have seen a few years ago a huge globe um, full of all the different nations and flags and everything else. Yes, a few of you nodding. And on top of that, can anyone remember what the Bible verse was that was on top of the um, globe, the flag? Go into all the world. It's a verse in Matthew 24, verse 14. The gospel must first be preached to all nations. It says, 
That's the version that I read, but apparently that, the actual Bible says something different. It says, the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. I'm not an end times kind of preacher. That's not my style. But when you hear that the gospel will be preached and the gospel of the kingdom is preached to all nations, when that happens, the end will come. Now, as well as there's a destination that we're going to, we also know there's a day when Jesus is coming back. There will be a day when Jesus, coming on the clouds, will descend from heaven and make his way back to claim what is rightfully his. That happens, not at the same time, but very close to. One of the signals of that is when the gospel, this kingdom, this idea of a destination that we have somewhere to go to and someone to be with, is preached to all nations. And the word nations in the Greek is ethne or ethno, which basically means peoples. It's not nations kind of one at a time, but peoples. Now, I can stand here and also say that there is a gospel-believing community in every single nation in the world now. It's there. There are gospel-believing Christians in every single nation in the world. However, the Bible currently is only translated into about 700 languages. Anyone got any idea, roughly, how many languages there are in the world? 1,000, 100,000, roughly about 73,000 languages in the world. Sorry, backtrack. Let's scale that back. 7,400. 7,400 languages in the world. Currently, the whole Bible is only translated into 10% of those. 740. A few years ago, there was a big movement about getting the Bible translated into all languages. And a few of you guys might have kind of grown up with that. Kind of Bible translation is the next thing, that missionary movement and sending out. And mid-90s, when that was kind of first set up, this idea of we, want, we need to translate the Bible into every language, they were roughly estimating it would take a couple of hundred years for that to happen. Well, early 2000s, a group of Bible translators got together from around the world, the United Bible Society, and they made a pact. And they called it the Joshua Project. And what they said is that we're going to make an effort, a concerted effort to reach every single language with the Bible. With that in mind, what was meant to be 100, 150, 200 years before the Bible was translated into all languages, they are now saying there are currently 1,300 languages still needing translation of any part of the Bible. That's not quite a lot, but it's a lot less than 7,000. 1,300 still needs translation. All of those will be done by 2038. Within the next 15 years, the Bible, or part of the Bible, the gospel, will be translated into every known language in the world. Some of you, 
might want to be praying to God to make it that long. Because the next thing is, even though the Bible might be translated into that language, doesn't mean that people, of course, will believe and be part of the universal church. Now, as well as languages, there are also something called unreached people groups. Now, there's a, there's a whole load of terminology. I only read about this this week. There's a whole host of terminology around these people that don't know Jesus yet. There's unchurched, which is basically people that know of Jesus but don't go to church and aren't interested. But there's also something called unengaged people groups. So unreached is basically not someone, no one has gone there with the gospel, but they are aware of who Jesus is kind of thing. Unengaged is a people group of which there is no known missionary or attempt to get the gospel into those people groups. And there's currently about 2,000 of them. Now, in the past five years, every single one of those people groups has been adopted by a missionary society with the intent of training and sending people into those people groups to send the gospel, to send the message of Jesus Christ, and this message that we have somewhere to go and someone to be with, to the whole world. And they're estimating that within the next three to four years, this will be done. At the rate that people are being trained up, with the fervor that people are being sent out, within four years... There will be a time, there will be a minute, there will be a second where the last known people group, the last known ethnos, comes to worship and understand Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. This idea of the Great Commission to go out into all the world, to preach this gospel of the kingdom to all nations, in our lifetime, in your lifetime, is going to be completed. Isn't that an amen? Yeah? yeah? That's, that's, that's really cool, right? But when I was younger, that was like a kind of, you know, a big dream. But now, it's like, well, this, this is years away. This isn't like, this isn't decades. This is, you know, not far at all. Now, Jesus is coming back. We don't know exactly when, but we know that when the gospel is preached to all nations, there's a signal and a sign. There's a milestone that signals a quickening, an acceleration of what is to come. The Bible tells us there's wars and rumors of wars. Um, Matthew 23, 24, I think. There's something about the age we're living in. As what was the old Western church is now no longer the center of Christianity. Because the biggest growing church in the world is Iran. As percentage of population. Iran is the biggest growing church by percentage of population, which is a country of Muslims. Where if you are caught proselytizing and evangelizing, potential death penalty. Yet, quickest growth of church is happening there. Indonesia, calculated late 90s, early 2000s, every three seconds an Indonesian Muslim is coming to know Jesus Christ. God is on the move. Just because you don't see him 
in this country, in this culture, doesn't mean he's not moving. We are part of a global church, a universal church of people throughout time, throughout history, throughout places. God wants his people with him. Despite you, despite us, despite me, God will be moving time after time after time. We will see, we will see the world come to know Jesus. I think it's in Habakkuk, tells us that the world will know, that will have the knowledge of God's glory as the sea covers the earth. I think it's something like that. Now the question is, this is a final question. If where we're going, if we know where we're going, and if we know God's taking people with him, and that message is getting out, then the final question is, so what are you carrying? Because it might be great for some of you to hear the stuff about missions, it might be great for some of you to hear the stuff about heaven and hell, but it still means very little to you for your dinner time conversation, for your photocopy room chatter. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians, I'm going to be wrapping up very shortly, guys. 2 Corinthians 3. Second Corinthians 4 verse 7, but we have this treasure, knowledge of Jesus, destination, in jars of clay, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. So good news today, guys, that you are carrying death with you wherever you go. What does that death mean? That death means life. Jesus's death means life for those who have trusted and given their lives over to Jesus. That death means peace with God. When the world might be at war, we have peace with ourselves and with the God who made us because of the death of Jesus. The death of Jesus leads, it gives us a life of righteousness where we get to be holy and blameless, not because of our effort and our works, but because of the death of Jesus. We get to be made pure and righteous in God's sight. Because of the death of Jesus, the whole world gets to confess that he is Lord, that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus' death gives everyone the access to power over death. The ability to withstand against temptation. The death of Jesus leads to joy in our lives as we realize the destination that we're looking for 
the place that we're building our lives towards. We're told that the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy. The death of Jesus, which we carry in jars of clay, in rucksacks on our back, is the gospel of the kingdom. We carry Jesus' death with us, this message of new life, of hope, of peace, of justice, of joy. In a world that has no idea where it's going or where it is, we get to carry with us the message of hope that the world needs. Each time you come to church on a Sunday, it's a reimagining of what this message is. Each time you meet around Jesus, each time you have a small group, a midweek group, a prayer meeting, you are being reminded of this message of hope that you have within you. When do you get it? Not when you get a PhD. Not when you've hit 150 Sunday morning meetings. There's no Jesus point scale system where you suddenly get this message and it's all okay. You get this message the moment that flicker of belief comes alive in your soul. So this morning as we finish, I want to remind you that what you are carrying in you if you call upon the name of the Lord Jesus, brings life not just to you, but to those around you. You are carrying with you this message, this gospel of the kingdom. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you died and rose again, that your death has made us right with God, that your death on the cross has given us a way to live in humility and humbleness, God, that we can follow you by pushing all things to the side, by following you into death, by putting you as first and foremost in our lives. I want to pray for each of us here, God, that there is nothing else more important in our lives than you. But Jesus, not just that, you rose again. And because of that resurrection, we get to have joy. We get to have excitement that you have given us the power to overcome every scheme of the enemy in our lives that we have the power to overcome everything that comes up against us because of who you are, Jesus. Help us to understand that this message isn't just for us, but we carry it with us. We take it with us wherever we go because this is not our home. We do not belong here. We are making our way as pilgrims to heaven. Give us that eternal perspective each morning as we wake up, Jesus. That we might do what you've asked us to do. We may be obedient to you to see your gospel of the kingdom reach everyone around us. Amen.